Hi, this is Sandy Berry. This is from the Gloucester Historical Commission. And we also have here today... Um, Jude Seminara, also from the Gloucester Historical Commission. And Susan Morial from the Gloucester Historical Commission. Good. We thought this would be a, a really appropriate time to talk about um, witchcraft or witches or accused witches um, in Gloucester. And I thought, you know, since 1692 was a really uh, pivotal, pivotal year for witchcraft in um, Salem, Danvers, people are really um, surprised to hear that it also um, had accused witches in Gloucester. And um, this, if we start back to 1689 to about the 1697 time range with King William's War, it was the first French and Indian Wars fought in America. It was um, along the coastal Maine and New Hampshire, and we were, we were devastated by raids and carried out by French rangers and warriors of the Wabanaki Alliance. And then we come into the winter and spring of 1690, and we start to um, be involved with massacres by the French and the Wabanaki. And that really brings us down into the um, summer and fall of 1690 in Massachusetts along Port Royal, Quebec, and Montreal, and um, right into January of 1692. And this is the pivotal year where the, we have the, the Kennel Mass uh, Massacre in New York, Maine. And Jude, Jude is really familiar with where we are now in June of 1692. So a little bit of background too, like up before, um, I want to say it was the, I don't know, mid 1680s, um, Massachusetts and New York, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New Jersey, I believe were all, you know, there was, there was the, a lot of smuggling going on and the English crown decided to crack down on it. So they had created, they consolidated all these colonies into, um, what was called a Dominion of New England, and they brought over a governor, Edmund Andros, who was not well-liked because he cracked down on this kind of extracurricular economy that, particularly Massachusetts being, the Boston being the largest port, um, he had cracked down on some of this. And one of the things he did was he restricted Puritan authority. So Massachusetts itself was a essentially a Congregationalist theocracy so that the church and state were went hand in hand where England itself was you know it was they had their state church and they were weren't necessarily you know they were at odds um, so one of the things Andros did was diminish the power of what was happening in Massachusetts and he did that by restricting Puritan religious rights and um, revoked the charter that had been in effect for 60 years. So by the time King William's War started, um, King James II had been overthrown in England. Massachusetts had its own bloodless revolution, essentially, where Andros fled, and he was being replaced by Governor William Phipps. And Governor Phipps was bringing a new, um, a new charter to Massachusetts. So essentially, we had a war going on, and we also had this, like, lawless time where there was a lot of um, 
like vagueness about what was legal and what wasn't and that vacuum that the Puritan leaders in the colony kind of asserted their power, which brings us up to um, 1692. In the beginning of the the year, January through maybe the beginning of the summer, um, coastal Maine was hit pretty hard by French and, and native attacks and um, you know, a place like York, Maine, places like Falmouth, Maine, which was originally settled by Gloucester ex- expats. Um, they were essentially wiped out. The town was burned. Most people were killed. The survivors fled. So what they'd do is they'd flee back to places where they had like a family network. So when they came back to, you know, if you had a place settled by Salem residents, they came back to Salem. And they brought a lot of that trauma back with them. You know, a lot of the Orphans were hired out as servants in households of family members or, or, or close acquaintances. So that kind of sets the stage for where um, New England, Essex County was at the beginning of the Salem witchcraft hysteria. Yeah. Um, well... There was also a lot of superstition back then, I think. Um, uh, even talking about just the unexplained or just just a, a, a lot of different personalities, people um, kind of working their way up the ladder or um, um, just people, just unknown things happening. I mean, at that time, we had a garrison, I think, in Gloucester, or at least a couple of garrisons, but there was a a really important garrison around St. Anne's Church area, and then there was another one, a smaller one, over in East Gloucester. And I think at that time there were about 60 different people huddled, you know, seeking safety inside of that garrison, mostly from the um, French and Indians. And they were terrorizing them. They would bang at the, the gates with sticks, and they would come out of the the woods and kind of harass the garrison and you know every now and then the garrison soldiers would come out and try to track them down and they would disappear and people were starting to think maybe they were never there you know maybe there's something kind of mysterious going on here maybe there's specters by specters I mean things that are unexplained things that are uh, tormenting you and uh and that's when I think it was Reverend um, Arison in town, the minister. Now, when you have um, a, a leader in the town, especially a minister, that is starting to say that, well, maybe it's the devil doing these things, and maybe it's just our imagination, maybe things are tormenting us, and they have um, a congregation, or at least... Uh, People huddled around the minister seeking some sort of comfort, and that minister is also adding to the hysteria about things not being seen, and maybe this is the devil. That kind of brews things up and makes these, you know, these people that are huddled there from Maine or huddled there from different areas, or the children without parents at this point because they've been um, massacred. You know, you got to start to wonder they need to grasp onto something. And if they have to grasp onto a physical being as causing this, 
meaning, you know, that spirit inside of uh, a witch, you know, that started to catch on. To touch on two things Sandy said, um, just to put things into perspective, this is not a time where science was viewed as um, the the explainer of all things natural. Um, this is by the end of the 1600s, you know, Europe had, had already been through the Enlightenment, but in some of these far-reaching, I guess, strongholds of religion, um, the science was not the explanation for things like, you know, medicine was in its, you know, modern medicine was in its infancy at the time. To explain a fit, there was not necessarily... You know, it's not like the doctor would diagnose it as, you know, some form of seizure. It was viewed as some outside entity or force driving that person's, like, earthly body. And the other thing, for people who aren't familiar with the garrison, before we fortified um, Cape Ann, before we fortified Gloucester Harbor, most colonial towns had at least one fortified house. So it would be a house that, you know, you or I lived in, and they're generally two stories with, like, an overhanging second story, and the walls were either heavy log or they were, um, like, a two-part wall filled with crushed, like, broken brick and rubble. And it was, um, the house was, was set up to be able to withstand, generally, an Indian attack. It may not have been palisaded, may or may not have been palisaded, but um, so... There was at least one garrison house in Gloucester over by St. Anne's Church where the rectory is, and it, there was probably another one over in East East Gloucester, like off of, you know, behind Good Harbor Beach, nearby Good Harbor Beach, because um, it's a good three miles from town. And at that time, the center of town was up by, like, Grant Circle. So it, it, would, it would be a, a good hike through still wooded, rugged wilderness to get from the East Gloucester Rockport area to um, any semblance of safety. So I suspect there was a garrison house somewhere also close to um, East Gloucester where the woods maybe off Eastern Ave or something. Um, but that brings us to Gloucester, like Sandy had mentioned, in, in February in Salem, accusations began. So in Essex County, it was isolated, but it wasn't as isolated as, as one might think. News traveled pretty quickly. Um, I have no doubt that people in Gloucester were aware of what was happening in Salem when it happened. Um, ministers often talked. There's, there's volumes of correspondence between church officials from one con- between one congregation and another one. So in February 1692, I'm sure most people that are listening to this are familiar with the, with the origins of the Salem witchcraft hysteria, but there was members of the Reverend Paris household, who was the reverend in Salem Village, now Danvers, um, had fallen ill. And um, at some point, the quick version is some of the girls had said that they had been conjuring, you know, doing love potions or love spells or whatever with the Paris' slave. Um, 
So she was actually the first accused. But by the, the summertime, by the early, late spring, early summer, um, accusations were flying. And Governor Phipps established a special court. There were, I don't know, two courts in Essex County um, that met quarterly. It, one at Ipswich and one in Salem. And those courts without the charter were considered like ill-equipped. They weren't, they didn't essentially have legal basis for making their decisions. So the governor established this court of, they called it order and terminer. It was to hear and determine cases. And that was the court that was established to hear these trials. And by the time Salem was like deeply entrenched in the trials, Gloucester also started to have some um, visitations, according to um, Cotton Mather, who had received a letter maybe six, seven years later about the summer of 16, the, uh, three or four weeks in the summer of 1692. Good. Um, let's see. And then in um, that brings us up to, let's see, we are more toward um, June of, here we go, June of 1692. Um, uh, the wife of William Dolliver of Gloucester was arrested. She resided in Salem, and this is sort of the first link up into Gloucester. And that would be an inter. She was arrested, and she was uh, residing in Salem. And her husband was presumably at sea and was totally unaware of this. And um, about July fourth of sixteen ninety two. Now that link with Dolliver and Dolliver is the first link between you know Gloucester and Salem. And the news traveled pretty quickly that now, all right, if somebody in Gloucester. Um, was accused, what kind of, uh, what, how is this spreading and how is this kind of reaching the outer, uh, the outer areas of um, Danvers, Salem. And Ebenezer Babson, he lived on a farm way out by Good Harbor Beach. I say good, way out by Good Harbor Beach because uh, it's quite a distance from town at that time. And um, he, he was troubled with sounds of people lurking about his home in the night. And um, his wife was starting to also uh, suffer from um, things that were happening, feeling ill and feeling um, uh, like somebody was sitting on her chest was another thing that she also felt. So um, after that, you know, they were it was unexplained noises, the house... Um, um, you know, uh, he he was starting to run out of the house with his gun. Um, he was um, hearing sounds like trampling and 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 trying to pursue them into the swamp, and they were just starting to disappear. And by that time, um, July fourteenth, it brings us up to um, Brown and Babson, and the men at the garrison saw six French and Indians and went to engage them. Um, and they aimed at them, uh, but missed them with their muskets. Uh, the soldiers on the other side of the swamp saw three men wearing a white waistcoat come out of the swamp, and 
they shot at them all and the three of them fell. But as the soldiers um, uh, yelled, they they had killed some of them. They hadn't killed, they killed some, they didn't kill others. And a fight ensued and they they kept losing the intruders. Now you have to imagine that there's a lot of woods, there's a lot of swamps here, there's a lot of uh, sea grasses, and it was difficult to see your enemies. And um, the Indians, of course, were very um, acclimated to hiding in the woods. And, you know, they started feeling like they couldn't see their intruders. And to put it in a context, like the colony was in the middle of a war, and it was a pretty significant war. Um, towns were towns were wiped out. Like people who are familiar with King Philip's War, um, that happened about twenty some twenty five years before. I mean, that was when you look at it, the death toll compared to the population at the time. Native communities were wiped out, and colonies lost something like ten percent of their men of fighting age in that in that war. That lasted a year. Um, a lot of technology over the course of 25 years has changed. Um, by the time King William's War began, it's it, it's an empire war. It, it was being fought on the continent, too. It was being fought between England and France in Europe. And it spilled into the colonies. So it wasn't just English settlers versus the native population. It was English settlers and first French and the French kind of the French were um, the French relationship with the Indians was different than the English relationship with the Indians the French would intermarry with them the French utilized them for um, the fur trading economy where the English were kind of like hands off they wanted land it was a farming economy so the the French French soldiers were essentially much more equipped to fight in the wilderness than the English militias. And at the time, you know, you you didn't have a standing army at this time. You had, a, you know, all the able-bodied people in town um, would own a gun and show up to training once a month or whatever. And that was the fighting force. It wasn't, you know, they were led by probably veterans, some people that had some semblance of military experience but it wasn't a um by any means a tactically superior force so for somewhere way out on the frontier like gloucester was in 1692 you had um this panic it's not in a time where superstition was driving answering questions um these people initially believed, like while this was happening in the moment, these people believed that the town was under um, was under attack for these two weeks. Whether or not they suspected anything weird, we don't know. We're only getting an account from seven or eight years later by a person that believed it was um, super. They believe they believed there was a an outside a supernatural force. But at the time, um, Ipswich sent 60 soldiers that was taken that seriously. So Gloucester itself was wrapped up in this panic of, um, they had the witch, they were surrounded by 
they were surrounded by crisis, essentially. They had witch trials around them. And most Essex County communities had witchcraft accusations, including Gloucester, obviously. Um, but in the meantime, while, while the witch trials were taking, they were starting to like pick up speed. The first wave of executions had already happened in Salem. Um, townspeople were being accused in Gloucester. Um, factions were growing. And, and Ebenezer Babson, he factors in later on about, he, he factors into some of the, the more uh, significant accusations. So what his role is, the, the historical record's not entirely, like, it's not entirely clear. Even some of the, for instance, Ann Dolliver's um, arrest, there's not much information on who accused her, why she was accused, what her role was. It seems to me she wasn't a um, respected member of the community. Her husband was away at sea. She's, that's the assumption. Um, I've seen it written that she was, quote, living apart from her husband, which at the time was considered criminal, essentially. So um, colonial communities had ways of getting rid of less desirable people, and I suspect that the witch trials was, um, you know, a, a prime opportunity to get rid of yeah. people they don't want in town. I mean, the, the way they impressed people into foreign wars, it was the same thing. It was up to the discretion of the town, and the undesirables were always the first to go. Um, but, yeah, so the, the summer of 1692 was a, a pretty hairy time for people living around here. Um, not necessarily, if you think about, like, what Dogtown looks like now, the, the expanse of woods. It runs from... Um, the Rockport line right up to um, like Cherry Street, essentially the center of town at the time, and the threat of tr woodsmen, armed woodsmen invading a town, assaulting a town was very real. Like we look back on it from 2019 and it's like, oh, how could that happen? When um, if anyone listening to this looks outside from their house, chances are it would be woods around them. So it was a, a, this wasn't like, you know, we, we, we take it as, as a supernatural thing now, but this wasn't, this was very real to them back in that summer. Now, um, at, around that time, um, Ebenezer Babson, he asked for some of those, some of the women that were afflicted, or the girls from Salem to come up and diagnose some of the women here that were starting to have phenomenons happen to them with afflictions and just having, you know, strange things happen to them and sicknesses. I think it, it was his sister he brought up to diagnose. So there's a kind of a, a kid from Cornell, maybe 12, 15 years ago, wrote one of his, he wrote a, his on his thesis or something on it about the genealogy in Gloucester witchcraft. That's a whole other story in itself but in the 1650s there was some dissension among you know if you think of an election if you think of an election year and the factions in an election year that you know how much um vitriol is thrown around during an election year same thing in in the 1650s in new england that's how like ministerial 
duties were chosen because the minister was a essentially a he was employed by the town and people's tax pay taxes paid his salary paid for his house provided him wood um so people were invested it's not like you know you go to church today and that the the person the pastor the minister or the priest is is assigned by a a, a diocese or is, this was a this is a a time when the community was run the, the laws were written based on um scripture so the electing a minister the the town itself the selectmen chose the minister in the 1650s there was quite a bit of dissension after um I believe it was the second or third minister, and they didn't last very long. And there was some, it, it was like the 17th century version of trash talk where um, someone said that some people's wives, I think it was Minister Perkins, it was um, William Vincent, his wife fact is in later, um, Grace Dutch, her his her daughter fact is in later so there was this kid wrote this thesis connecting some of the people that were accused of witchcraft in 1652 they weren't found guilty the person that accused them was found guilty of slander and was ordered to apologize in public at i don't know four churches around essex county their their family members either children or future wives people tended to marry if if a spouse died they tended to marry pretty soon afterwards and continue to marry till they died. So um, William Vinson was dead by 1690, but it was his second or third wife. His first wife was accused in 1652 and his second or third was accused in 1692. So the, the, there's, there was some connection. Again, the record's so foggy. There was some connection between some of the people that were accused by there was the faction of the accused and then there was the faction of the people that were accusing them. And it, it's a pretty interesting paper for anyone that um, goes to look it up. I think the kid who wrote it was Jedediah Drawlett, went to Cornell. It was a, I believe it's a Cornell thesis. But there was a connection between some of the 1692 accusations and some of the 1653 accusations. Um, I haven't had any luck. Genealogy is not my, my game. I haven't had much luck connecting what groups were involved. But anyhow, Ebenezer Babson's mother, Eleanor Babson. Yes, the mother, yeah. Her brother, Zebulon Hill, they were both accusers in two different incidences, which we'll get to. So in September, September 3rd, 1692, Ebenezer Babson swore out a complaint against... Elizabeth Dicer of, she's listed as Piscataqua, which is um, up in New Hampshire, and but she was, um, her married name was Austin. She was living in Piscataqua at the time, but she was originally she was in Gloucester, and um, Margaret Prince, who was somehow involved in the sixteen fifty three. 1650s incident for acts of witchcraft against his mother, who was Eleanor Hill Babson, and then Mary, the wife of William Sargent. Um, so 
Prince and Dyson were arrested and locked in jail in Salem. Um, there's not a a lot of again the records piecemeal. So there's no none of the people in Gloucester. There's no evidence of what the disposition of their case was. Um, none of them were executed. We know that. I don't know that any died in jail, but there is a petition which we'll touch on for several of the women who were either widows or in extremely poor health that were in the Ipswich jail had petitioned to be released for the wintertime because of the conditions in the jail were approaching the inhumane. Um, like two weeks after Ebenezer Babson lodged his complaint, his mother's brother, Zebulon Hill, um, he was living in Salem. He swore out a complaint against Joan Penny of Gloucester. The Pennies lived over in West Gloucester up by like, um, up by like Walker Creek. Um, she was arrested. She found herself in jail. Um, and she was accused of committing sundry acts of witchcraft on Hill's daughter, Mary. That petition by October... These people had been in jail for a month easy, month and a half. Um, Ten of the prisoners in the Ipswich jail, uh, Joan Penny, who I just mentioned, Rachel Vincent, who was the second or third wife of William Vincent, whose first wife was accused in the 1650s, Um, Margaret Prince, Mary Rowe, who's the wife of Hugh Rowe. He was involved in some town um, conflict for a while. I believe he was also a French and Indian. Uh, he was also a King Philip's War veteran. Um, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation. Mehedible Downing. Um, she was the illegitimate daughter of Joan Penny, accused by Zebulon Hill. Um, uh, Joan Penny's first first husband and his his servant. That was. It wasn't Joan's daughter. It was Joan's stepdaughter. Um, Phoebe Wilds Day, who was the daughter of Sarah Wilds, may have been the daughter of Sarah Wilds, who was executed on July 29th in Salem. Um, Elizabeth Dicer was in jail. Hannah Brummage of Haverhill, Rachel Hatfield, and Good White Green of Haverhill, and then three or four men were in prison. The um, There's no evidence of whether or not they get out, my assumption is they did um, because there are several recorded in Gloucester Vital Records of having died in town at a later date. So um, they, none of them were executed. We know that. And this carried on through, um, through the winter. The Stevens faction, Lieutenant James Stevens, William Stevens' son and Nathaniel Coit, who was related to them by marriage, swore out a complaint in November against um, Esther Elwell, who was the daughter of Grace Dutch, who was accused in 1654. Abigail Rowe, who was the daughter of Mary Rowe, who was accused in October and or um, for the er- mid-fall of 1692. And Rebecca Dolliver Dyke of um, West Gloucester, the Coits and the um, the Dollivers and the Elwells are 
Um, there was some land dealings, which I won't go into, but there was some land dealings. They were neighbors. So one of the um, suggested reasons, once the witchcraft trials were um, in full swing, it became a really good way to commit legal murder against your neighbors if you had land concerns or um, past feuds. It was a simple thing to execute someone. One of the speculations of the Putnam family, people who are familiar, if anyone's read The Crucible, it's not necessarily the most accurate rendition of it, but um, one of the, um, the the Putnam family, there was the, the underlying issue of de- arguments over land, like a like an ongoing feud with, with other people, I think it was Proc- the Proctors and the um, the Crucible, but it was it was this ongoing feud between people, and it was an easy way once the trials were um, underway and in full swing, and had the momentum to keep going. Um, if someone was executed, they forfeited their property to the to the town, and that land essentially eventually would would be up for auction. So it was an easy way if you wanted to get some land, accuse your neighbor. They had, if you had enough evidence. The, the thing with the, the trials, it was the last time that um, spectral evidence, like, you know, we, we think of a court, and, you know, you see like law and order, and they're like, oh, that's only circumstantial, that's only circumstantial or whatever. The, um, the, the evidence in the court was this person said that the spirit of, Sandy Barry came and choked me at night, and that was sufficient for a um, a judgment by the by the court. So it was a matter of like there was it's almost impossible to impeach a witness, um, especially if the person that they were accusing had a poor reputation in town. Um, again, it was an easy way to control. It was like a social control at the time to get rid of the undesirables in town or you know, people that were very outspoken, it was easy for them to, if they didn't conform, they were an outcast, and it was easy to have, um, to get rid of them. And some of these people, if you look through, if if anyone's so inclined, you can look at the Essex County quarterly records from, like, um, 1640s to, I think it's on the University of Virginia has it all digitized. You could look up some of these names and... Um, in the index and at least half of them have had some kind of essentially 1690s criminal or 16, 17th century criminal history, um, which I didn't put in my notes, but as I didn't put any no- examples in my notes, but um, the I know the Rose, the Rose had had some issues. Um, the Pennies had had some issues with the courts simple things that could have been a fine or a whipping or you had to apologize. Um, there's an illegitimate child, perfect target for um, a witchcraft accusation. But most of the records from the summertime, from the, the, the late fall time into the early winter are pretty, pretty scarce when it comes to Gloucester, but there was, I think, nine women in Gloucester, which makes it the third highest community. It was the, the third most common community to have somebody accused of, of witchcraft. 
So um, that that does bring us up to November-ish, and the phenomenon seemed to have been sort of, um, uh, I don't know, going its course, and it kind of fizzled out a little bit, and I think some of the accusers started accusing people that were more prominent, so the wives of prominent people in town, and that touched a little too close to home because, you know, the you know, say that you're a judge in town and somebody's just accused your wife, and gee, you're a judge. Are you gonna, are you gonna, you know, put your wife in prison? Or you know, in some cases that did happen, but um, uh, I think in most cases people started to uh, just think that maybe this this was a little bit too far fetched. In fact. Um, some of the girls that were brought, I, I know that some of the, the women um, that were accused in Gloucester, there was there was so many people in the prisons in Salem, they had to put some of the Gloucester women up into Ipswich. And I know a couple of the girls were coming over, I think the Choate Bridge in um, Ipswich, and they started, they saw an old woman by the side of the road um, who was probably just elderly, different, an herbalist, uh, uh, you know, a healer, and they started rolling around in the, the road and going into fits. And people started saying, eh, I don't know, this just, maybe this is just a little bit too much. And as it fizzled out, and if you think about this, this is just maybe January, February, all the way to November, and then we're brought into... Um, 1693, and Governor Phipps is saying, I think uh, I'm going to start to pardon the rest of the people that are in prison and let them out. And Stoughton, who was a superior court judge, I think he was superior or at least um, a high court, um, left the bench and quit because Phipps started letting all these witches, supposed witches, go. I think another thing to keep in mind is... Um, everyone that, you know, the, the I know Gloucester High School, at least when I was there, when I worked there, was they read The Crucible. I think it was like in 10th grade. Um, it's a fiction. Um, there was, you know, in, in reality, I think John Proctor was in his 60s and um, Abigail Williams was 12. It, it wasn't, she wasn't, the, in her early 20s and he wasn't in his late 30s. The thing to keep in mind is that a lot of these kids that were making accusations were like elementary school age, mm. 9 to 11, maybe a 12 or 13-year-old tossed in the mix. But the bulk of the accusers were essentially impressionable young elementary school kids. Um, they were all girls. There weren't many opportunities for girls at the time. Um, the ones, at least one of them, I think it was Mercy Lewis. I'm looking at my note. Mercy Lewis. So she was a, one of the accused, one of the original ones. She was at the Paris household when this all began. She was one of the um, survivors of the attack at York. And I think think that was her second Indian raid that she survived. They had come to Salem, they had left, and then they came back. Um, and George Burroughs, who was executed, I believe was the minister, 
of York. So they were known in Salem. For whatever reason, they were accused uh, or became accusers, whatever happened. But when you think about Mercy Lewis was probably about, you know, at, at the oldest 12 and her family was killed. Her house was burned down. Um, she, you know, one's gonna, one would suspect that she had some mental health things going on from that kind of trauma. And she wasn't necessarily the ringleader of it all, but these were kids that had really no social outlet. And their day consisted of, they had no school, they didn't go to school. Um, their day consisted of waking up, doing chores, going to bed, and doing it all over again. And I think initially starting off with the, you know, the love, the love charms or the whatever they were doing, conjuring whatever, um, was started out as a form of entertainment, which was very dangerous because witchcraft was at the time a capital offense, which means there was no, um, it, it, you, if you were found guilty, you'd be executed. It was a death sentence. So the kids were figuratively playing with fire when they were playing those games in the winter of 1692. Everyone's lived in Massachusetts. The, you know, people who have lived in Massachusetts through February know how bad it is. Um, but they essentially touched off this almost year-long um, hysteria. And really, if you think about how short that was and how many people were put to death, accused, um, I think that when you were put into jail, you actually had to still pay for your food and your lodging, so to speak. And yes. And even when they were let out of jail um, the following year, they had to pay back, um, um, you know, their lodging and their food um, while they were there. And they probably weren't, you know, some of these women were um, pregnant or um, didn't have husbands. And while they were in jail, they probably lost their homes and their the children that were at home. So it was a really, really traumatic time. But... All in all, if we have to say, I, even though we don't know what happened to the women that from Gloucester that did end up in jail, where they were pardoned, but I've done some research, too, and tried to find them. I don't see them in, buried in any of the cemeteries in Gloucester, um, but um, that presumably maybe they stayed up in Ipswich or down in Salem. I don't know, but um, it came to the end of a really, really turbulent time. It was one of those things that until the 19th century wasn't spoken about. It was a, um, it was a, like a point of shame for all of Essex County that it happened essentially when the executions were, um, if anyone's interested in it, it's an interesting, I, I, I can't think of the site offhand, but it's, um, there's an interesting website that um, one of the researchers, like he was an avocational researcher that, that did some triangulation because this Gallows Hill playground in Salem that didn't seem to fit 
all of the physical descriptions of where the place of execution was, but that's what Salem commemorated as it. And it's a he makes a pretty compelling argument for a different location. I want to say it's like a Walgreens parking lot now. Um, but there was no dignity, really, in the execution. They were walked up a ladder, rope put around their neck, some words were said, and that was that. And they weren't permitted to be buried because churchyards were... Um, it was while funerary customs weren't necessarily like a religious thing, they weren't buried with the um, untainted folks in the town. And it sounds like they were just kind of like cut down and tossed into a, a off the edge of this cliff, this, this kind of like slope, this crevasse off where the hill was. Um, I know the, uh, the nurse family, if anyone goes out and visits the nurse homestead, um, Rebecca Nurse, she was the, you know, she was a prominent and very well-respected member of the Salem community. Um, her family actually, under the penalty, you know, the, if they were caught, they would be punished, they would be executed, came and recovered her body in the middle of the night. Um, it was a, looking back 300 and 300 years and change, to us it's kind of like, we can sit here and do a hour-long podcast of, you know, this happened, that happened, the other happened. But it was back in the 1690s. It was a, it was a, it was a life-threatening accusation. Just that, like, just uttering that word, which would, you know, the ball was set to roll for um, a, a, a capital, a capital punishment essentially it was a, a it was considered as as significant as murdering somebody in colonial Massachusetts oh well thank you Jude Jude did um, most of the talking he's um, um, he's our <laughs> As close as you can get to our expert on um, witches, I have to claim that I really, I just didn't even know that it stretched this far until I started just looking into, um, just dabbling here and there into Gloucester history. And as he said, there's, there, there is a lot of blank spots in it, but it is part of our history. And thank you so much for... I, I think an hour or 40 minutes doesn't really do it justice with the volume of stuff that is there and to get the story out. But there's plenty of good resources that people can, you know, a lot of them are, are available online or at the library that anyone that's interested in it is, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty of written on it. There is, in fact, I found um, a, a good, um, in Rebecca Beatrice Brooks wrote a, um, page on it. It's called The Accused Witches of Gloucester, and that was my first for foray into it, and sh it was from February 6, 2012, and there were a lot of comments on it from people from Gloucester wanting to know more um, information on it and ask more questions. And of course, there's a couple of books that I, I had in my library that I had forgotten that I had, The Salem Witch Trials um, I, by Marilyn uh, Roach, and then the Salem Witch Trials, 
um, The Reader, and that one was by um, Francis Hill. They were good. When I when I refreshed my memory on some of that, it's a it's a really good historical chronicle. It's not full of sensationalism. I mean, it goes into a lot of the sections of the Gloucester folks being just really afraid and frightened and huddling together. And there's, there's a book called Devil in the Shape of a Woman ah, yes. by I don't have the first name. Author's last name's Carlson K A R L S E N. Um, that does delve a little into um, some of the Gloucester, some of the Gloucester folks that were accused mm. and their accusers. Well, good. That concludes everything today. We'll um, see you next month. Thank you. Thank you.